Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for joining us today. There is so much to enjoy and be grateful for in life. And the way we approach each day can and does affect our mood, decision-making, and courage in pursuing our purpose in life. And that's why we all need a little positive perspective to get our day started right. And that's why I listen to podcasts. And I hope the reason you listen to this podcast, Open Your Eyes. Don't ever doubt the power of setting our mind right each day. It has a lasting impact. So I hope today that you hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to share this podcast with a friend. They may need what you find here today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about your unfair advantage. Now, if you've been to London, you've likely been to Kensington Gardens. Located near Wellington Arch in Buckingham Palace, the 265-acre park is a primary tourist destination in London. On the west end of the gardens sits Kensington Palace. And the palace is a 547-room palace that is home to a number of royals. Kensington Palace was the home of Prince Charles and Diana. After their marriage, they moved into apartments 8 and 9 at the palace. Now, the word apartment may not adequately describe the residence. The apartment covered three stories. It includes two reception rooms, a sitting room, formal dining rooms, nurseries, multiple bedrooms and offices, a helicopter pad, greenhouse, and living quarters for the staff. Originally, the palace was just a two-story Jacobian mansion built in 1605. But in 1689, Sir Christopher Wren expanded the house and added a three-story pavilion at each of the four corners. And over the years, the palace has had new wings built, new floors added, new roofs constructed, and has been remodeled dozens of times. In 2011, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge moved into the four-story, 20-room apartment 1A after extensive remodels and changes. In short, the palace has, for centuries, undergone one improvement and one change after another. Now, it seems an apt metaphor for you and me. It seems in life, we often get put about, much like the palace. Life forces another wing to be added in our life, or we have to remodel a worn-out room, or change something about ourselves we don't want to change. And much of what has to change or get remodeled in our life always isn't fair. In Kensington Gardens stands 14 primary statues, one honoring Prince Albert, another Queen Victoria, and an alcove honoring Queen Anne. But there are only two statues in the gardens honoring someone who is not a royal. The first statue honors Edward Jenner. Do you know why Edward Jenner's statue would be in Kensington Gardens? Well, Jenner's name is not one that's widely known today. Jenner was born in 1749 to a father who was a vicar and his mother who didn't live long after his birth. In fact, Edward was orphaned at age five. As a young boy, he took an interest in science, and at age 14, he started an apprenticeship for a surgeon and would work there for seven years before becoming a doctor himself. And it was during this apprenticeship that he started to study immunology. Now, at the time, immunology was of such interest 
because there were epidemics that swept through populations and killed millions all the time. One of the most devastating diseases in history was smallpox. Smallpox killed millions of people unchecked for centuries. Now, the initial symptoms of smallpox are vomiting and fever, but then a skin rash turns into blisters, which eventually scab over, and the diseases spread between people as an airborne virus from droplets from the nose or mouth, and it is highly contagious. A large percentage of survivors at the time became blind. And the death rate was 30% of those who contracted the disease. So in the 18th century Europe, smallpox was the leading cause of death. Now, Jenner and others for years had heard the stories of cowpox. Cowpox was common among dairymaids and farm workers, and a skin rash would form on the hands of these workers after a cut or wound was exposed to the disease. The stories that Jenner heard was that people who had cowpox were protected from smallpox. And for years in pockets around the world, inoculation or variolation had been tried with small populations to protect against smallpox. Variolation was administered by rubbing the material from smallpox boils on the skin of healthy people. And although a lower percentage of inoculated people died than those who contracted the disease through other means, it was still a somewhat lethal practice. Well, Jenner heard the tales that dairymaids were protected from smallpox naturally after having suffered cowpox, and through his study, he concluded that cowpox not only protected against smallpox, but also could be transmitted from one person to another as a deliberate mechanism of protection. So in 1796, he found a young dairymaid who had fresh cowpox lesions on her hands and arms, and using matter from her lesions he introduced the matter into a small cuts on an eight-year-old boy. Subsequently, the boy developed a mild fever and discomfort, but after nine days, he was much better. Then, months later, Jenner inoculated the boy again, this time with matter from a fresh smallpox lesion, and no disease developed. Jenner then published his findings. The Latin word for cow, interestingly, is vacca. The word for cowpox is vaccinia. And soon, Jenner's procedure came to be known as vaccination. Vaccination to prevent smallpox was soon practiced all over the world. And during the 19th century, the cowpox virus used for smallpox vaccination was replaced by the vaccinia virus. Vaccinia is in the same family as cowpox. Soon, smallpox was no longer the leading cause of death in Europe, and the life expectancy of people increased dramatically. What a blessing the smallpox vaccine has been to the world. In 1980, smallpox was all but eradicated from the earth. And not just smallpox, but one vaccine after another has emerged since Jenner's cowpox vaccinia. As a result, our life, the time we have, the time our children have to live, has nearly doubled. And just like smallpox, it occurs to me that during our time in this life, unfair things will happen to you and me. Tragedy, illness, and other inequitable things will come our way. I know I've lived my entire life with pain, primarily back pain, from an accident I had at the age of 15. But through the years, that pain has kept me more humble, more prayerful, and hopeful. Yes, it would be easier without it, but I can't imagine who I would be without it. And while this has been an unfair advantage to me, it has made me, me. And it seems that life, 
in its inequity has leaned a bit in my favor. And this isn't unique to me. I've seen so many people take life's inequities and turn them to greater good, to faith, to work, to building their character and giving them an unfair advantage. And the truth is, life isn't fair. It seems in our society today that people are demanding that life be fair. And it is simply not fair. The government can't make things fair. Your employer can't make things fair. Parents can't make things fair for children in life. And it seems there are some of us who are angry and resentful at the unfair things that happen to our children or to ourselves. But it's a great lesson in life to see how things can and do, even unfair things, lean in our favor. Not far from where I live is the city of Ogden, named after the trapper Peter Skeen Ogden. In 2018, the mayor of North Ogden was Brent Taylor, and Brent was born in Ogden. And when he grew up, he served in the National Guard for more than 15 years. And unlike others, he spent seven of those years on active duty. He served two tours in Iraq and others in Afghanistan. And the reason his skills were in such high demand is because he was a convoy security commander and advisor to the Iraqi intelligence agency and later to the Afghan border police. In 2013, while he was at home, he was elected to become the North Ogden city mayor. And Brent and his wife, Jenny, are the parents of seven children. But in 2018, he was deployed to Afghanistan. His job, as part of a special operations joint task force, was to work with and train Afghan special forces. These were the most elite forces in the Afghan army. And on Saturdays, Brent often took the team on training rucks or training hikes outside the base to help their conditioning and training. During one ruck, an Afghan Special Forces soldier, Asfar Khan, who Taylor was training, opened fire against his own team, firing three shots, one hitting Taylor in the back of the head. His personal security guard, a U.S. Army member, was shot in the back. Well, Afghan commandos shot Khan as he tried to escape. How did this happen? Here, Brent Taylor was trying to do good, to pass on what he knew, to be of service to a foreign government, and to do what was asked of him by his own. He was away from his seven kids, his wife, and his life, and he was murdered as a result. How unfair to Jenny, who received a call from a friend at home, saying there were two uniformed servicemen at the door insisting to talk to Jenny in person. They would later tell her that her husband had been killed. How unfair to be left to raise seven kids. Well, it was Jenny who said, Life is incredibly unfair in our favor. She said, In some of my darkest moments and my deepest anguish, I've come to believe that life is incredibly unfair in our favor. I hate saying my husband's death has blessed my life because that hurts, but I can't deny it. My life has been blessed so much through what has happened. Now, losses in life aren't always compensated, or unfairness isn't always repaired. And all of us should be in the business of helping others like Jenny Taylor with the means to support her family. But I do believe that we grow and become who we are supposed to be through things that are unfair. In other words, the result is an unfair advantage. You know, James Matthew Berry was born in Scotland. His father was a weaver, and he was the ninth of ten children. And when James was six, his 14-year-old brother died in an ice skating accident. 
it left his mother devastated. One day, he entered his mother's room, and she said, Is that you? And he knew she thought it was his older brother who had passed. And he said, No, it's not him, just me. And needless to say, this was something, his brother's death, that stayed with him throughout his life. James knew at an early age that he was a storyteller, and he would become an author. And when he was older, his sister gave him an ad placed by the Nottingham Journal that was seeking for a journalist, and he submitted his stories and got the work. Well, 10 years into his career, James, who had written several screenplays, turned his attention to a novel, which he titled The Little White Bird. In chapter 13, the novel introduces a seven-day-old baby named Peter Pan. The baby flies from his nursery to Kensington Gardens, where fairies and birds teach him to fly. He is described as betwixt and between, a boy and a bird. No doubt this was James hearkening back to his boyhood when his 14-year-old brother died. In the novel, James never describes the appearance of Peter, leaving it to the imagination of the reader. Well, James then took the character and wrote a stage play called Peter Pan, or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up. And from there, the novel Peter and Wendy would emerge. Over the years, the character was refined. For example, James felt the need to add fairy dust as the means by which Peter could fly, because after his first production of the play, children were going home and jumping off beds or other heights, thinking they could fly, and many required surgical attention afterward. But J.M. Barrie's most famous story, Peter Pan, was clearly born from and became so famous because of the death of his older brother. From what happened that was unfair, Barry created an unfair advantage, a view, a perspective that other writers didn't have. And this advantage allowed him to create a story that has resonated with so many people for so many years. And by the way, the second statue that's not royalty in Kensington Gardens is Peter Pan. Well, in the famous lessons and words from the story of Peter Pan, you can see the influence of his brother's death on J.M. Barry. You can see how he made meaning of the loss with words like, you know that place between sleep and awake, that place where you still remember dreaming? That's where I'll always love you. That's where I'll be waiting. Or to live will be an awfully big adventure. Or the moment you doubt whether you can fly, you cease forever to be able to do it. And what about this famous Peter Pan saying? It's not in the doing what you like but in the liking what you do, that tis the secret of happiness. Yes, the death of his brother was incredibly unfair, but for J.M. Barrie, the good from it helped him create an unfair advantage in his storytelling. And you have to ask yourself, if his brother hadn't died, would we even have the story of Peter Pan? Now, what about you? When things happen that are unfair in your life, do you look for what is leaning in your favor? Do you look for the unfair advantage? In your business, when your business partner stops, or in your family when your children fail, or if you don't get the position you thought you should get, can you find the advantage? Often, that advantage is more than a lesson learned. It is that you become a better, more enlightened person. Perhaps, in the unfair thing that comes your way, lies the very answer to something that will take you your business, or your family to the next level, to where you're supposed to go. In 1634, the poet John Milton wrote the poem Comus. 
And in this poem, he famously wrote, I see ye visibly, and now believe, that he, the supreme good, to whom all things ill, are but as slavish offers of vengeance, would send a glistering guardian, if need were, to keep my life and honor unassailed. In other words, I can see that God gives us a glistening guardian to help us in times of trouble. Then his next verse, Was I deceived, or did a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night? I did not err. There does a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night and casts a gleam over this tufted ground. An unfair advantage, a silver lining that accompanies the clouds in our life. So if there are such things as silver linings, and all of this is true, then how do we create more unfair advantages in our life? The first way is to pursue the path presented. Meaning in almost all situations, there is a path presented. And if you pursue that path, luck, good fortune, and other things just may come your way. Almost everyone is familiar with Oprah Winfrey's story, a black girl raised by her grandmother in the 1950s in rural Mississippi. As a young girl, she was traumatized by sexual abuse. She grew up incredibly poor, and her childhood was unstable and unfair. With a revolving series of caregivers, the only consistent thing about her life was that she was constantly uprooted to go and live with someone else. Passed from her grandmother to her mother, then her father, and back again. Oprah could scarcely have had a worse childhood. So you might ask yourself, with everything that was so unfair about her childhood, how did she become who she became? How did she rise up to such prominence and success? Well, no doubt she was an exceptional child, but by the age of three, she had already been taught to read, and at a young age, she read the Bible a lot. Her grandmother also took her to church a lot. And there she was nicknamed the preacher because she could recite Bible verses and could speak with great skill to groups of people. One author wrote of her, little by little, unconsciously at first, Oprah was picking up the very skills that would allow her to captivate audiences decades later in her life. In time, her grandmother and later her father would take her to speak in front of crowds at every church within driving distance. Congregations clamored to hear this wonder child who spoke like a leader. Oprah herself said, From the time I was eight years old, I was a champion speaker. I spoke for every woman's group, every banquet, and every church function. Her father also took her to the library regularly, which she loved. She seemed to hide the trauma of her life somewhere in the books that she read, and she found a love of learning. Reading, sermons, speaking, Bible learning, faith, prayer, and sharing her testimony are the experiences that most children never get, but Oprah got a lot. At age 17, Oprah won the Miss Black Tennessee beauty pageant and was offered an on-air job at WVOL, a radio station serving the African-American community in Nashville. She also won a full scholarship to Tennessee State University, where she majored in speech communications and performing arts. Well, Oprah continued to work at the radio station in her first years of college, and she soon left school and signed on with a local television station as a reporter and anchor. As her bio says, in 1976, she moved to Baltimore to join WJZ-TV News as a co-anchor, 
and there she co-hosted her first talk show, People Are Talking. She found a niche that perfectly suited her outgoing personality, and word soon spread to other cities. In January 1984, she was invited to Chicago to host a faltering half-hour morning program, and in less than a year, she turned AM Chicago into the hottest show in town. The format soon expanded to an hour, and in September 1985, it was renamed The Oprah Winfrey Show. Here's the point. Pursue the path presented. Things around you may be unfair, but pursue the path presented. Let's say your business is struggling because your normal network, where you find your usual leads, has been changed by the economy or other forces in the market. Pursue the path presented. Search in the places where people need what you have to offer. You know, with the real estate market down, shift to helping realtors who have few commissions and help them put their skills to work. Let's say your family is impacted by poor choices of a child or spouse. Pursue the path presented. Strengthen your children and use the opportunity to help them see how to respond to circumstances with faith to pursue the silver lining, so to speak. They will learn from your example. Whatever the unfair situation you are facing, pursue the path presented. You know, one of my favorite stories in Scripture is of Moses. Many of you know the story. Moses, a favored prince in the house of Pharaoh, comes to see who he really is and is cast out of Pharaoh's house. Moses lives in the wilderness and pursues the path presented, comes to know God and God's calling for him in his life. Moses is called to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and as slaves of Pharaoh's house to freedom in the land God's prepared for them. Through a series of miracles, the slaves are released and begin their march. But after they begin, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army, horses and chariots, to destroy Moses and the people. Well, with Pharaoh's army in pursuit, the children of Israel come up to the Red Sea. Now, at its narrowest point, the Red Sea is 17 miles wide, and at its widest, 190 miles wide. And with no time to go around, Moses and the children of Israel needed to walk at least 17 miles through the water. With all of this, Moses walks to the water's edge. There, Moses puts his staff into the water, and the Red Sea parts. The children of Israel pass through the Red Sea on what the Scripture says is dry ground, and after they pass, Pharaoh's army follows, and the sea closes on them, and they drown and perish. What Scripture also teaches us is that Moses didn't know beforehand what he was to do. But when he arrived at the water's edge, he was inspired in that moment to pursue the path ahead. And with that, he put his staff in the water, had faith in his inspiration, and God parted the sea. Now, I've always taken this as a metaphor for what is available to us. Sometimes to pursue the path ahead of us takes a bit of faith, grace, and inspiration. We need to be willing to get our feet wet as we walk on the path ahead of us before the dry ground comes our way. Next, what other things must we do to create an unfair advantage? Well, work smart. When things work against us, it can empower us to learn how not just to work hard, but work smart. Ash Ali and Hassan Kuba said it this way, Imagine two identical applicants for the same job, Sally and Jenna. They have the same experience, the same qualifications, the same everything. Sally applies for the job in the usual way, through an online portal, 
She takes time to write a nice cover letter. She's already spent hours and hours on her resume, the formatting, the wording, and trying to make it sound great. She then hits the submit button, crosses her fingers, and hopes for the best. Jenna, on the other hand, doesn't make such an effort. She has a friend who works at the company. Her friend recommends her and hands her resume directly to the boss. And who do you think has a better chance of landing the job? The answer probably came to you straight away. Jenna has a better chance because of the connection, a personal recommendation from a friend who works there. Now, viewed from afar, that's the simplest form of unfair advantage. Jenna's friend's recommendation boosts her status to the boss, giving her a massive leg up. And here's what I've noticed. Even though it's so obvious, some of us don't pursue the unfair advantage. For example, we don't seek out advice of people who've been down the road before. And even if we do, we rarely do what is obviously needed to be done. Let's consider the example of the two applicants for the same job. Everyone knows that networking and finding the right people will enhance your chances of getting a job interview, right? But so few people network. Why? Well, it's difficult. It can be embarrassing. They don't know where to start. It's something they're uncomfortable doing. And there are other reasons, but you can see why it's not done very often, even though the results are obvious. So what does that say to you? In order to create an unfair advantage, we must be willing to do what is wildly uncomfortable. We must be willing to walk where we haven't walked before and stand where we haven't stood. In your life today, what do you need to do that's wildly uncomfortable? Perhaps to create an unfair advantage in your life or business, you need to do that wildly uncomfortable thing today. And it just may be what you need or what you're supposed to do right now in this season of your life. Next, to create unfair advantage, take a good inventory of you and your life. Identify what you have going for you right now. What skills or friends or assets do you already have that can give you an advantage? In your business, you've likely had a lot of people who have told you no, and hopefully you've kept a record of all those people. This can be the richest asset you have years later because their life and view and circumstances may have changed, and who knows if they're not going to be more receptive today. Take an inventory of your skills. Perhaps over the years, just like Oprah, you've developed skills that applied rightly could help you grow in a new direction. For example, perhaps during your time as a parent, you've realized you have exceptional training skills. Is this an area you could or should pursue in your life? If so, you may have an unfair advantage. As you take your inventory, consider your mindset as well. Your mindset today may be better than it has ever been. It may be time to start something new. You're probably more grateful, aware, patient, committed, or whatever it may be. That mindset may be priming you for your next leap forward in life. Your mindset itself can give you an unfair advantage. For example, Oprah spoke of her mindset as she developed as a young girl. She said, I remember standing on the back porch watching my grandmother boiling clothes and poking them down. I was four years old, and I remember thinking, my life won't be like this. It will be better. It wasn't from a place of arrogance. It was just from a place of knowing that things could be different for me somehow. That mindset was her unfair advantage. Next, to create an unfair advantage, work on your insight skills. As you've likely heard, 
Success leaves clues. You can learn a lot, gain an unfair advantage from watching and learning from what other people do. I call this paying attention. Be a student of your business, or if you're parenting, be a student of parenting. I've seen lots of successful entrepreneurs and business leaders who are not the most talented or smartest leap forward in their success because they paid attention. They asked questions, observed, made notes, tried, and put those ideas to work, and the end result was their improved success. You'd be surprised how many people listen to podcasts or go to training seminars, make lots of notes, and listen intently, only to go home or take off their ear pods and do nothing. In the scripture we read, woe unto those people who have ears to hear and eyes to see, but don't do what they hear or see. This is an incredibly important talent to creating unfair advantage in your business or life. Put what you see and hear into action. Now, there are other unfair advantages we haven't talked about today, including timing, friends, money, location, proximity, ideas, education, skills, and many more. But hopefully, what you've come to see is that in an unfair world in life, there are ways to turn the unfair into an advantage. You know, just as something as unfair as smallpox was removed from the earth, so can unfair things in your life that seem daunting be turned to good. And most likely, much of that good will come from the unfair things you experienced. Like J.M. Barry or Oprah Winfrey, what you gain in the times of difficulty can turn to you for your good. Remember, pursue the path that is presented. Take an inventory of yourself and your life and use the advantages you have for good. Work smart. Act quickly. Use your insights. Put what you observe and learn to work. And watch. You will create unfair advantages that will help you rise to who you are meant to be. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.